You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 434 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. Seth uh, running the show here this week. Hopefully Stephen will be able to join us shortly, but he has been otherwise detained. And we got Foz on the line. Foz? Hello. I guess there's no adults in the room today. Well, I'm drinking a beer, so someone thinks I'm at least of age to be an adult. Fair. Doesn't mean I'm behaving like one, but... <laughs> Why start now? Yeah. Uh, speaking of adults not being in the room, we're going to get to the JetBlue American uh, news that came out late on Friday in just a minute. Uh, first, though, uh, the Haneda slots bit that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, Delta filed a new response to United, and I, I feel like maybe it's just that these are the ones I read, but I also get the impression that lawyers really enjoy airline regulatory filing bits. They have a lot of fun going after each other. And this is no exception. Delta has basically countered United's point of claiming that it's all about Delta's profits by saying, in fact, United isn't only defending its own profits, um, arguing about how it has, how United has the preeminent position in Haneda because of ANA, which, and the metal neutral joint venture, which is a fair, uh, consideration for sure um but yeah it's pretty amusing i mean but you i mean they can see that but then you can also say that about any number of other airports right yes they, i think the big difference in this one though is in and it comes back to sort of the quirk around how these slots are allocated as they were allocated for specific gateways not to an airline right so it was to an airline with the specific gateway and so even in an open skies, in an open skies country, that's almost unheard of. I think this is the only one. And so the fact that there's any extra rules about these slots makes them weird, unique, strange, special, pick whatever word you want there. But it makes it really hard to, uh, you know, it makes it hard for United to continue its position given that it's an open skies agreement. Everywhere else where the slots are restricted to a gateway, it's usually because it's not open skies. Sure. Um, and it's only on the U.S. side. A and I, A and A can use its slots wherever the hell it wants. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize so, that. Yeah. It's literally something the DOT did, and I don't know why. Um, I, well, I would, I could probably tell you why, because on the other side, you really only have two carriers that are fighting for them. The side they had to, they, by putting their restrictions, right? They could, because um, there's more than two carriers. There's a lot more demand going on this side than there is that side. Yeah, but how do you? I mean, does that necessitate? Does that necessitate saying, "Tell us where you're going to use them, so we can decide if it's fair or not"? Well, I think the entire premise was it was done that way so that it was somewhat it was useful to the public, not the airlines. Right. And I guess the question is, does it, do you just say? Does controlling which gateway was used make it more beneficial to the public than saying, you know, Delta's not going to run six a day all from Atlanta? No, but, but maybe. I mean, maybe four. Uh, <laughs> but if the premise of getting the slot in the beginning was to say that we're going to introduce nonstop uh, service from these cities, yeah, it's to incentivize traffic in and out, nonstop traffic into in and out of those cities. Yeah. So. No, yeah, absolutely agree with that. I'm just wondering if the if the DOT sh- that needed to enforce it that way versus saying we want to make sure Haneda gets good service from the United States, 
let's let the four airlines involved, you know, well, that's loud, split up uh, their operations in a way that they think makes sense based on, you know, available capacity, et cetera, and sort of based on their relative sizes to each other. Anyway, I mean, it's, Delta certainly got an outsized share of slots, but they're sort of split in proportion to the size of the airlines. Yeah, but like, let's say people... Airlines Asia services, I should say. Uh, I don't know about if I would agree with that. Well, American, until last month, was the biggest by ASMs in the world and still had a very small number of uh, Asia flights. Asia flights and headache slots by extension. Right. I mean, let's use PDX as an example, right? If Delta pulls service from PDX, then PDX has no more service to Japan. Right. Should they be allowed to do that? Right. It's one thing to talk about like Honolulu, where there's two other carriers that three other carriers that service that market at least, if not more. So there you have less of it. Like there, there would be a less impact on the overall market because there's other stuff to be had. But Portland would be the loser. Sure. I guess then the question becomes just does Portland, I mean, it's a terrible thing to say, but does Portland deserve service to Tokyo? Is there enough demand to justify that? Historically, I think it was tied to a different pattern of business travel, et cetera, that doesn't exist today. Well, then if that's the case, then Delta, sh- you know, Delta shouldn't be allowed to just change it. They can resubmit into the pool and ap- apply for a move yeah. or apply for it again. And that, that's clearly United's position. So anyway, uh, go read these filings. They're really fun of legal banter and battles that, uh, well, we'll see what the DOT says. That's, so um, I'm not sure what the uh, timing is on that, but the DOT it will come back with a ruling at some point. Uh, the big news, though, this week, JetBlue and American Airlines Northeast Alliance was ruled illegal under the Sherman Antitrust Act late on Friday afternoon by a judge. And, yeah, I was not expecting that. Um, I thought they'd get away with it. Uh, I think, you know, one of the very early in the ruling, one of the interesting lines to me is basically uh, the judge saying, yeah, I get it. Uh, you know, th- there may be uh, some ways, and this is an issue, but uh, it's not our job to determine to say that combining two airlines or operations or coordinating will help them compete better against another bigger one. We don't care what order they are of in size, we just care that there's additional competition. But it, it's based on sort of a strict reading that having more uh, airlines operating is what makes competition not necessarily that uh compete you know that two that a bigger combination might uh compete better and that's got to be scary for the spirit jet blue merger also i mean i don't think the spirit jet blue merger is going to go through candidly but yeah I, I, well it's going to be basically i mean you could almost write the same exact ruling <laughs> yeah and i kind of agree with the ruling because the reality is as these airlines have consolidated we actually haven't seen that much an improvement in yeah. ser- we've seen declines in impro- uh, service and we've seen fares go up yeah this is the opening instruction quote this case turns on what competition means to the defendants competition is enhanced if they join forces to unseat a powerful rival the Sherman Act however has a different focus federal antitrust law is not concerned with making individual competitors larger or more powerful it aims to preserve the free functioning of markets and foster participation by a diverse array of competitors those principles are undermined rather than promoted by agreements among horizontal competitors to dispense with competition and cooperate instead. That is precisely what happened here. 
We could literally just stamp that on top of the spirit JetBlue merger ruling also. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the one question I have, and you may or may not know the details around this, is there a breakup fee? For the NEA? Yeah. I have no idea. Um, there, I, I would imagine there's some money that has to live somewhere, but not huge sums, I don't think. Um, I also haven't finished fully reading the uh, the brief yet. Someone said to me that at some point uh, there's mentioned that if JetBlue just bothered to join One World, this wouldn't be a problem. Wait, how does that make sense? I don't know. Um, let me see where I can find that reference here um, while we're talking. But yeah, it's it's a very page 43, 44 says that joining One World would solve the issue. I don't, I really don't see that. Because um, it wouldn't really. It would just, from a free applier program, sure, it solves the issue, but not from an operations. Yeah. That, and it's not really what this says here, I don't think. Um, it basically says choosing a, a partnership that would mirror the West Coast International Agreement, which is what the Alaska Partnership is described as. Um, and the main difference there is that on the West Coast, the the shared revenues are not so tightly intertwined. It's basically America's international and, and Alaska's domestic, where they didn't have overlap. And it's it's just a traditional co-chair agreement. It's not a coordinating well, there's, schedules. There's some. It's not coordinating of schedules. There is it's more than just co-chair, but it's it is also not true coordination of schedules. Um, the, the revenue sharing is on is split differently. Um, so anyway, that this is you know the cost of the breakup potentially. Sure, whatever. That's something the airlines have to deal with. But I don't know how they unwind. I mean, how do you unwind this in a way that is reasonable for operations? Took over a ton of American slots at JFK and LaGuardia. American bailed on a whole bunch of markets. Um, I mean, AA gets all their slots back, and like, I, I think JetBlue loses in this more than AA does. Um, assuming AA could actually operate them, right? <laughs> so the, the, here's the question: Is what what is AA going to do with all those slots? AA had been historically underutilizing its JFK slots, which is in small planes and not even running them full time. Like, right, a lot of services didn't run on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And JetBlue loved that. They can run all their leisure markets on Saturdays extra. Right. Um, the the ruling also notes that JetBlue had been working to lease those slots from American anyways, because American was afraid it was going to lose them because it wasn't using them enough. Mm-hmm. The 80-20 rule. Um, and so it was already starting to try to lease them, and then eventually uh, found itself, ascent, you know, they, they, oh, well, hey, as long as we're considering doing this, why don't we try to get uh, a little happier? Why don't we try to make uh, their, make this an even tighter relationship? So, what do you think, Stephen? You actually there, Stephen? It's, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, that was me. Uh, uh, I think uh, this is some great news to bring up on a Friday. <laughs> what, what a drop on a Friday. So, someone's going to have a bad weekend. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think I mean I think you you, you know JetBlue probably loses bigger than American if American like you said Seth if American can't operate service with the slots that they take back. If they can, if they can then I I think you know JetBlue definitely loses 
I know where United can get its JFK slots now. Oh God. Make make a third go of it. <laughs> it ain't dead yet. <laughs> uh, American, right. I mean, so American just doesn't have a northeast presence with its regionals to do this, and it's can, yeah. there's no way it can, it's got enough mainline to shift around. I mean, one of the things that the judge notes is American already was shifting mainline away from Philadelphia to favor JFK. It was clear that this you know deal was skewing the operations elsewhere, despite all the claims that they were just building where it made sense. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. What do you, I mean, what do you think that they, American does then, um, as far as capacity, do they keep, do they keep things at Philly now? Or do we see a true shrinking of Philly? If American has, well, it depends on what they end up doing with the slots. One option yeah. is they just lease them to JetBlue. Yeah, or someone else. I don't. I don't see how that makes a ton of sense because now you're giving the, them these slots to aggressively compete against you instead of to cooperate with you. Yeah, uh, that 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 doesn't sound like a great deal. But at the same time, if you can't operate them, you've got to do something. Give them to Alaska. <laughs> Perhaps we talked about it last week. Alaska is the number what, four operator in JFK. Maybe they have to grow. Yeah, there you go. They <laughs> go Alaska, the two coast airlines. Uh, <laughs> I think it opens up opportunity, right? I think AA could choose to shift capacity around if they wanted to. It's just a matter of if they choose to or not. Yeah, but, but what, what kind of capacity? What kind of capacity do you grow at JFK? Do you only grow international without an aggressive domestic feed? That was the real deal: is that American was going to grow international and JetBlue was going to provide the domestic feed. Well, I mean, they could add additional domestic capacity, right? For a lot of the international flights, they just need one flight a day from cities. Yeah, but if you're part of that is what time the slots are available at, and part of that is if you're going to do that, you've got to draw down elsewhere because you only have so many pilots and only so many planes. And especially for international, American is desperate for big planes to show up. Right, but they could also, I mean, let's be real, they could just add another 30 Heathrow flights with BA and be done. I mean, they did get rid of all their, their CR9s, so, you know, that's a that's a problem. They could have they could have just run a bunch of CR nines and had a JFK. <laughs> oh, maybe I'll be able to get the Philly JFK line now. <laughs> Better than CR twos. This is true. You are you are correct. You are correct. Um, do you want me to take the next topic then? Yeah, I mean, I obviously lots to yet to unfold. This news came out an hour and a half before we started recording. So, but again, on the other side, the question I would pose is: What does Jeff Blue do with all its extra planes then? Boston. I mean, that's the other side of the equation. Reopen Long Beach. Are there really that many extra planes right now? I don't. I mean, I assume if they're just going to stop all this northeast, if they're going to reduce, if they cut, yeah, let's assume they cut all the northeast. So, uh, some of them moved to Florida, but right, there's no there's no space to grow in the northeast that includes Boston without this deal, basically, right? The, the gates are full, the slots aren't available. Yeah. Um, well, some of it, you know, JetBlue could very quickly again stand down the E90s, and that caps some of the challenge. Those were basically on the way out, and then they they kept them around. They've come and gone a few times, so that's part that is part of how you address the issue. And then restart the Fort Lauderdale growth again, similar to how JFK, uh, how American favored JFK over Philly, JetBlue favored New York over Fort Lauderdale. Maybe mm-hmm. some of it goes back to there for Orlando, and you boost uh, VFR traffic into the Caribbean. 
visiting friends and relatives, uh, right? The leisure traffic demand there. Um, maybe they try to continue growing in LA if they can get more gate space there. Which we got to talk about how the gates work in LA. That'll be in the bonus topics. Um, <laughs> I have issues with T-Bit. Uh, anyway, the, yeah, there's JetBlue definitely has some challenges there. Not nearly, I don't think, as significant as American. Other than JetBlue is about to lose access to all the slots that it had allocated for huge growth in New York. Well, I think Americans' problem is actually simpler than JetBlue's because the worst case, American just leases out the slots. There's always going to be somebody to lease the slots. But the question is, it, with no benefit to uh, leasing them to JetBlue, there's no reason to say someone else couldn't come back and pay more yeah. than JetBlue is willing to. Yeah, I mean, some, someone might pay for them. The question, you know, and yes, American could always just lease them out, but letting competitors show up, even if they're paying you for the slots, is a risky proposition. Depends on the routes, like. United, I don't think United would be an issue because it'd be LA and San Francisco. Yeah, and American definitely doesn't try to compete on those. Only uh, not so much on San Francisco and LA, yes, but not so much San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, they do offer the San Francisco, but not nearly as frequently. Yeah, they, they've drastically reduced their transcontinental uh, operation. Yeah. They were ceding a lot of it to the Mint planes, and they're getting rid of the three twenty one Ts. So, yeah, it's. I, I don't think that there's a clear cut answer. It's also like, are, are either the parties, are they going to decide to appeal or not? We don't know. So, yeah, good times. Uh, Qantas boosting capacity and they're leasing Fenner A330s? Yes. And this came out, uh, I think, on Friday as well. Uh, so, a big part of that is they made the news that the, the note that I think by March of 2024, they'll be back to 100% capacity relative mm. to pre COVID times. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big part of that is getting the thin air, getting a pair of thin air A330s. I think they're going to run Bangkok and maybe Hong Kong on them. If I remember correctly. I'll double check that while we're talking here. Um, a couple routes that then the, the reasoning on that was you know more or less so we can open up additional so we can take our Qantas planes and put them back in the other markets where we want them. Mm-hmm. Um, they are going to have the new Finair suite on them. That's the sort of non-reclining whatever. Yep. No moving parts suite. Uh, yeah. Um, they've already brought some back. They're bringing more A380s back. Another one is going to come back in January. Um, so they're trying to get there, but it's a uh, interesting challenge for sure. Here we go. Let me see if I can find where the, the Finair planes are going. Uh no, not what we're talking. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm little. It's a little strange to me. Like DFW isn't back to an A380. Um, it's still a 787. Like, is that simply because they think they can get higher margins out of a different route? I mean, I'm likely what it is, but it seems odd, right? Because there is this huge demand from the United States to Australia right now, and you would think more capacity would help you there. Yeah, but I think they're focused on the connections at LA. Gotcha. Okay. Right now, um, Melbourne, Los Angeles is going to be 380. Mm. Uh, and it's going to go from nine from daily to nine times weekly. So it's a big boost. Um, Sydney to Auckland to New York is going to go to four times a week instead of just three. Uh, Australia to Tokyo, big boost. Uh, Sydney, Shanghai is coming back with a daily 330. Uh, Hong Kong is going to get a mix over the Australian summer. With 380s and 330s. Uh, whoa. 
Brisbane to Wellington and Brisbane to Honiara Solomon Islands on an E-190? <laughs> That's a long time to spend on that plane. Um, cool. Uh, the other interesting thing about the Finnair deal is that it's a wet lease for the first two years and then a dry lease after that. Um, here we have the Finnair A330 aircraft will operate selected Qantas flights between Sydney and Singapore from late October and all flights between Sydney and Bangkok from late March 2024, freeing up Qantas aircraft and crew to boost flying elsewhere. For the first two and a half years of this agreement, flights will be operated by Finnair pilots and cabin crew, with customers continuing to receive Qantas's in-flight food and beverage service amenities, entertainment, and baggage allowance. From late 2025, the two planes will be dry leased, operating for up to three years with Qantas pilots and cabin crew. That's a super interesting arrangement. I mean, it's a good deal for Finnair, right? Like, Finnair is, like, playing the long game here, going 330s, where can we send them? Desperate to find anywhere to have their planes flying? Yeah. Yeah, and and their crews, right? Like, to have to have their crews flying for somebody for two years and get paid for it. I mean, it's a good deal. Um, I wonder how they move crews around. Like, how does that work? Are these, like, are they just going to dedicate crews to these two routes that live and work out of Australia? Move a, move, move a bunch of people to Australia for two and a half years? Yeah, yeah. I almost think you have to, but I don't know. Yeah, or, exactly. or, or even maybe it's long-term station, like a six-month contract. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking, like, or maybe they do, because Finnair does Singapore to Helsinki, right? Even even with the sanctions and stuff, they, they fly either, I, I thought they did. Maybe they fly up and over, like over Alaska. I carry me out. I think they go down if they did it, but let me show okay. while we're talking. Yeah. yeah. I, I was just wondering maybe they, they rotate their crews through Singapore or even on call um if they bring back service, but it seems like it could be a pain. Yeah. Um and yeah, I mean I guess it's not that big a deal to switch between uh which oper- are you are you operating a Qantas slide or are you operating a whatever. Uh the other one. Thin air. Thin air, yeah. That's Good, good brain there, Seth. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, they are sure they're operating both those routes, um, but I think they're on they're on three fifties. So yeah, flight attendants yeah. no big deal for pilots, very big deal, B- bigger deal. Yeah. Um, American Airlines and WestJet pilots reach AIPs, so that they get agreement in principle. Agreement in principle, yeah. So WestJet was on the cusp of shutting down, essentially. Um, Big difference in strike authorization votes in Canada and the United States. In Canada, when they said they were going to go on strike, they met like this weekend mm. or l- last weekend. Now that we're recording, it was just, I think it was supposed to start at uh, five a.m. local time in uh, Calgary on Friday morning, and they put out their release at two thirty in the morning that they got the agreement done. <laughs> so, uh, good news there that they've got the agreement principle date. But the other challenge is they had already started canceling a bunch of stuff and grounding planes because uh, you don't want to have planes and crews stranded away from home when there's a work stoppage. Yeah. So getting everything spooled back up is going to take some time. So there are still disruptions happening, but that should be coming back pretty quickly. Um, American also had a strike authorization, though not imminent that there was going to be a strike, but uh, they seem to have at least in principle the right talking points with management so, uh, well, for the pilots there, but these are for pilots. We, we said that, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and along the way somewhere, the Canadian pilots joined the ALPA, like the, <laughs> two, the two unions, the like parent unions merged in the last week or something like that. Oh. So that doesn't change much of anything, right? It's not the 
uh, it's not like the unions merge, like the pilots are like, are the airlines merge, but it sort of changes the overall sort of parent, uh, I guess, negotiating team and sort of, it's like the back office of when two airlines merge, like the lawyers. <laughs> so is the lawyers and accounting got merged, but the pilots themselves are whatever they are. Should it really be NALPA now instead of ALPA? Like, should it be North America instead of American? Yeah. It's what is it, Airline Pilots Association of America? So should it be Alpine? Al, I don't know. Alp- Americas? No. Just- yeah. 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 Something like that. Um, with, uh, so we actually got a question from a, a listener and friend of ours that we talked to quite a bit. Uh, he was asking about with, uh, TK with Turkish and the new Saudi and the rumored, Cutter order, do you believe smaller airlines need to use ultra-long haul planes to capture traffic? Like, uh, Philippine Airlines could do Manila JFK and convince customers to go non-stop rather than connecting via the Middle East. Smaller airlines would need to order effectively the A350s since the 77X isn't available yet. Are we going to see more airlines do time-sensitive rather than price-sensitive marketing? It's an interesting question. Does the VFR crowd really care about time-sensitive? I mean, I think, I think people care to a point, right? Like if you can minimize how much time you're spent in transit or in travel and as a whole, I think people value that at some point. Yeah. But so overpriced them do. And for how much, right? I think, yeah. Part of the challenge is like Philippine Airlines does fly Manila JFK already today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and are there, and it's actually the, one of the reasons they bought the 359 1000s, which is ordered, but they got nine of them on order now, was to increase capacity on that market because they think that they can actually pull more passengers away. Um, I'm not sure that the 350 is necessarily the right plane or the necessary plane to deliver this. Mm. Right? We're seeing a lot of 787s used for longer, thin routes to overfly hubs. That's whether it will work long haul and you know, long haul low cost carrier is still a up in the air, but long haul with those, I think, is actually pretty well established as working. Yeah. Um, so, you know, will the mega hubs continue to exist and grow? Yes, absolutely. There's not enough point-to-point service that can overfly them. Um, and the demand is just too great in some of these markets for anyone to take, take over, but I do think there's probably an opportunity for not in the smallest markets, but in the mid-sized markets, you could get some point-to-point stuff. Maybe it's less than daily, which is really hard for business traveler, but works for the VFR, um, the leisure traveler segment. Yeah. And yeah, I do. I do definitely think there's potential to overfly big hubs in some places. India, UK is a market where they keep trying, and you know, airline fail. Airlines fail all the time, so it's not like that can be the only reason. Um, but. Uh, not all of the India UK ones have succeeded, but that's a market where I think there is opportunity for, you know, smaller airports at both ends to actually still fill a couple hundred seats a day. I, I think I mean I think that's an interesting point. So if you're you're saying if if more airlines got seven eight eights or seven eight nines, um, because of the economics of that airplane, they they could operate some of these really long, thin routes and offer them maybe not daily, but you know, four times a week, five times a week. And at a discount, and still make money on it. Yeah. Basically. Thoughts on thoughts on that, Foz? Agree? I mean, it's disagree. I mean, look, I think most people would prefer a nonstop flight. The only reason people steer away from it is generally cost. Yeah. So if there's a convenient option where I can take nonstop 
and taking on stuff like Mint's price parity, even if it's a day later or a day earlier, most people would probably take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is surprising. I, I was looking, actually was looking at uh, India to London um, for some coworkers, and it's not priced outrageously, like for business class even. Um, but it's, I mean, nonstop, it's seven and a half hours for most people, like depending on what part of India you're in. Um, and, and you think about it, there's, I would say second tier or third tier cities within India that have no service where you have to connect through Delhi or Mumbai, um, or you connect through the Middle East. And I, I, like you said, Seth, I think a nonstop option would be much welcomed by, by those markets. Um, I'm thinking like Bangalore, Bangalore only has one nonstop to London a day and that's BA and yeah. no one, you know, and so. Uh, I, and, you know, also have to remember, though, it, the India market is also special because of the bilaterals. They are still very restrictive in terms of capacity for outsiders flying. And until recently, Air India was grossly inept. <laughs> I yeah. think is the polite way of phrasing it, which isn't very polite, but here we are. But, I mean, that that's an interesting challenge, right? So, Stephen cites Bangalore, uh, London. Think about the crew scheduling on that, right? I don't know how many wide bodies they have going in out of Bangalore, but if they don't, then they have to figure out how to get wide body crews in there and maintenance on the ground. True, yeah. I, I mean, it's a it's an airport that mostly operates at night. It seems like or you know middle of the morning. Um, so that's a good point. Fair enough. So, I, Hendrick, I hope we answered your question a little bit. I mean, I think the long answer or the short answer is it's a different airplane. I don't. It's not necessarily the A three fifty that's going to do it for for those airlines. Um, it's got to be something that's more economical, and the 787 does have that going for it. Um, mega profits at Emirates and Singapore. Yeah, like two and a half to three billion dollars each last year. It's insane. Must be nice to print money. And let's be fair; they lost plenty the year before, so like it's not all only good news. But um, the profit sharing is the part that I find most interesting. Uh, are they they're doing they're doing both doing profit sharing with this? Emirates is paying most frontline, you know, flight attendant, pilot, crew, whatever, customer facing employees six months salary. Wow. And Singapore is eight months. Holy crap. And it's good for them. Yeah, I think it's great for the employees. It's you know, having stuck around through the pandemic and all the challenges and whatever, like huge money for all of them. But then you, know, you go back and look at like the Profit sharing stuff that the uh, U.S. unions are trying to negotiate for, and you know, a couple percent here and there, and you're like, "Huh? Well, I mean, half a year salary is definitely more." So, it's yeah, it's that that difference, that sort of juxtaposition is crazy to me. Well, I mean, I think it's the question of like how corporations treat their employees, right? So there's there's a mutual respect. It seems like at Emirates in Singapore, um, of uh. Well, I wouldn't say mutual respect, but like an understanding, right? Like, hey, then I don't know if the, I don't know if the base salary is significantly lower, and this is on like a a low number. But either way, it's it still looks way bigger. Well, and, and but my point is, is like, look, you look at your employees and you say, okay, we're going to give you eight months salary um, because of the good work you've done, and this isn't a normal, this isn't going to be the norm. But hey, we want to we want to reward you for the work that you've done. I, I I don't know. I think there's there's something to be said about that. And then you look at U.S. companies and are like profit sharing. Let's do some stock buybacks. Uh, yeah, and, that, and even I mean, Emirates is not publicly traded. Yeah, right. It's owned by the government, fine, or essentially owned by the government. Uh, Singapore is publicly traded, but if I remember correctly, but even still, I guess 
there's some differences in the way that sort of fiduciary responsibility comes about. Yep. Yep. Um, and then lastly, uh, JT Ginter, friend of the show, uh, shared with us, he tweeted us and shared some, uh, football routes, college football routes that, uh, American Airlines has announced. And they're yeah, kind of this is the time, yeah, it's the time of year where the fun lines start to show up. Uh, <laughs> I'm Gainesville. My hometown made it on one of them. Uh, Gainesville and Nashville for the Tennessee game. Uh, Florida, Tennessee will be on the list. College Station to Miami. Ooh. Austin, Texas to Des Moines. Or <laughs> Iowa, Iowa, Texas. Uh, maybe Charlotte to Austin as well. Who's in, who's, who's in Charlotte? Who's that be? That, that must be, uh, like season opener or something like that. Oh, okay. Okay. Is my guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who they're playing. Denver or Eugene to Los Angeles. Um, again, there's gotta be an Oregon thing. Eugene, but, Eugene, Eugene is, is, uh, Oregon. No, or Oregon. Oregon. Okay. Uh, and then that would be UCLA likely. It's probably, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, th- there's some interesting, um, interesting routes here. Knoxville to DFW. Hmm. I'm actually, know. I'm actually surprised that's not operated by American already. That's a fair point. Uh, college station to Miami was an interesting one. Yeah. Um, but anyway, some some good lines there. I imagine United and Delta will similarly offer they historically have. So uh, keep your eyes open. But I guess I wasn't last year there was uh wasn't there Austin to Baton Rouge? Really? I think that, I think there was. Yeah, there was. Yeah, for LSU, LSU, Texas on United. Yep. Yeah, it's a short hop. That's why I'm a little surprised, but. Yeah, long, long, I mean, yeah. it's a long drive, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else we got here? I think that's. I think that's kind. I think that's kind of it. We're gonna have talk about the bonus show. We're gonna talk about uh, your trip report on Breeze and your hatred of T-Bit or your your issues with T-Bit. Uh, I don't hate it, but I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> and then Hertz, Hertz, and Puerto Rico and passports. Uh, and then uh, the Dornier three twenty eight lives on. Um. And then, do you want to, let's talk about, let's talk about Southwest taking advantage of the okay. PTA slots real quick. Let's talk about that. We were going to talk about the bonus, but I think it's worth talking about on here. Sweet. So, you may recall the FAA is allowing airlines to drop up to 10% of their flights in New York uh, without losing those slots for the, for peak summer, right? Like July through September. Yeah. Uh, because they're understaffed. They expected that that would also extend, some of those would be DCA flights that were dropped out of Washington, D.C. And they were right. I think it's United is the one that dropped a couple uh, Newark DCA routes. Um, while the slots in New York were not being reallocated, the FAA said, or the DOT, whatever, said that they would reallocate on a very temporary basis the slots in DC if another airline wanted them. <laughs> and Southwest Airlines stepped up and said, yeah, we'll take those. And it's Albany and one other route that I'm trying to remember now, are, I think, are the markets... Um, where these are coming back, and it's it's just a little bizarre to me. Um, let's see how that is. Uh, I can't find the stupid release. Really damn it! Um, but yeah, I I'm just dumbfounded that like it makes sense to try to market these routes on short notice for a three-ish month. Then, do you think they just have like the planes sitting around? In the respective cities, and they're like, "Hey, we we could do this by just putting them on another quick turn to DCA." Uh, and nothing's that easy. 
Yeah. It's an airline, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like DC doesn't get some wicked thunderstorms in the summer. True. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it is weird. I mean, you're not wrong. It's like it's it's strange. Yeah, I'm just I I really am not entirely sure. Um, I've been spelling it wrong. That's why I can't sense. Um, yeah, I I just I really am having trouble figuring out what they're trying to do here. I think I found the link here. Southwest. Nope, it's not in this one. Never mind. Damn it. I don't know where I saw it now. Um. That's a bummer. Uh, the we should mention though that the Faroe Islands to Stewart's Newburgh is on sale. No, we shouldn't. No one else go buy that flight. All right, keep the prices low. Let us do the inaugural and enjoy the trip. You, and you you just want to make sure that there's you got an empty seat next to you. Is that the theory? yeah yeah exactly in twenty nine inch pinch. I don't blame you. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, what am I signing up for? <laughs> Question uh, life choices every day. Yeah, yeah, I do a lot. Um, cool. Well, let's let's jump over to the Patreon bonus topics. Uh, to our Patreon subscribers, stick around for that. To our listeners, thank you for listening and leave us a question or comment on Twitter or email. We love to hear from you, and uh, we'll talk to you in the next one. Happy travels. Take care. Bye bye.